Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
Welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. It's the first weekend show, I should say, for December. It is the ninth. Actually, the second one. We did one last week. We just caught it at the beginning of the month. We're already two weeks into the month, and I'm losing track. How do you like that? Hey, we got a great show for everybody tonight. Greg Scott from Forte is our guest. We have one more guest lined up for next week. Then we'll be doing our holiday shows and then kicking in the brand new year. But right there, Wasp with Animal going back old school to the first single I bought from the band. Uh, it was a nice gatefold single. I still have it somewhere in my collection. Uh, Wasp put out Reidolized uh, this year. They just kind of re-recorded uh, that record. And uh, I'm not really a big fan of all these re-recorded albums that bands are putting out these days instead of doing new music. And sometimes when I hear some of the new music these bands are putting out, I can understand why they're re-recording some of the more classic records because they're not very good. <laughs> I have to be honest with you. Uh, that's just how I've been feeling lately. I've been going more and more back into my older stuff than the new. And it's not to say that every band is putting out bad new records. I mean, Fifth Angel have a great new record out. Does it sound anything like the original Fifth Angel? Absolutely not. But it sounds like a killer new band, and I and I love that. And there's Leather Bitch and so many great new bands that I've been getting into lately. But, you know, I want to hear good music. I don't care if it's old or new. It just has to be catchy. It has to be good. So much music comes out. It's just like a blur of nonsense. And by the time I'm done listening to it, I don't even remember what I listened to. Bring back the classic sound, especially for the older bands that are back today. You know, I know putting out new music is important to some bands. It's not important to others. I mean, Mark sort of just says, you know, nobody wants to hear new music from us. We go out and they want to hear the old songs. They want to hit a hit. So that's what he's kind of given them. And if that's the case, a lot of bands aren't going to record new music. But in the same sense, you know, when bands record music, you know, they got to write stuff that's sort of like aching to what they used to do in the past, something that's old school sounding. It sounds like the band that people fell in love with, not a new modern sounding band. People don't want to hear that from the classics. You know, this is a great year for music. I was going to put out a list of all cool albums that came out this year, but it's kind of hard for me to do because there was just so many out there. Plus, when I do the show, a lot of bands are friends of mine, very good friends of mine, and they put out records, and they get kind of offended if I don't put their albums on that list. <laughs> you know, because they feel like I should because we're friends. But if I'm being honest, I'm just putting out the records that I thought made an impact on me during the course of this year. The new Iron Angel was absolutely killer. Even though it's only the singer in the band from the original lineup from back in the day, the guys he has working with them right now and recording with them, they kind of picked up on a really great version of that classic sound of the band. They put out a great record with that album, Hellbound. You know, one of my favorites for the year. Satan still has that classic lineup since getting back together a few years ago. Every couple of years, they put out albums that just keep getting better and better. And they all harken back to the old days of that classic Satan sound, but they don't sound dated. So, you know, just a little thing I feel. That's all. All right, let's keep going with the music here. How about Hollow's Eve? Plea of the Aged. Yeah, I'll soon be gone today. 
Brand new Chariot off the new Horizon Dawns record came out just recently. Uh, I haven't even had a chance to go through the whole record. I kind of bounced around from song to song, just grabbed one of the first ones to play this week. I'm going to sit down and go through the whole album. You know, they've been put out, I mean, they've been more active now than they were in the earlier days when they first got started. I mean, they put out, I think, The Warrior and then Burning Ambition around 84 and 86. Then there was nothing from the band for years after that. I, I, I had Pete on the show sometime in the early 2000s. Uh, and, you know, I don't remember asking if they had broken up all that time, but I think they kind of worked together. But they were weren't active, like, throughout the 90s. Uh, but I think there were a couple of compilations that came out around 2004. And then when they first put out the Behind the Wire record, it was a solid album. And they've been pretty consistent, like, every three to four years, sometimes two years in between records, putting out albums. And it's amazing because it's pretty much that same classic lineup. You know, from back in the day, Pete Franklin on vocals and guitar, Jeff on drums, John on bass. I believe they got a guy, Paul Lane, playing guitar for them these days, but uh, it was called Biagi, I think, uh, uh, back in the early days. So pretty consistent, like, you know, as far as lineup goes, which is pretty rare for a band that's been around for, you know, closing in on close to 40 years. Quite impressive. Uh, that's one of many new tunes we're going to get on tonight's show. Uh, we'll play a whole bunch after the interview. I'm going to be giving Greg a call in about 10 minutes. We'll do one or two more tunes between now and then. And after that, we'll jump into some more. We haven't played a lot of new music on the show over the year, but a lot of great classic bands from the 80s have put new records out, and they seem to all be coming out around this time of year. A few of them will be out in 2019, but we'll get some songs from those on also. All right, let's do Medieval, World War Four.
Jackson, going to be 40 years old next year. Biff says they're going out on the road. They're going to have a big, tremendous stage show. It's going to be spectacular. So I know they'll be here in the U.S. They come here every time they tour, and we're kind of lucky for that. And being in New York, we get to see a lot of great bands coming through here. It's usually the first or the last stop on most of the tours. So I'll definitely be out there next year to celebrate with Saxon. I remember walking into my, you know, back in, when I grew up in, in Brooklyn, back in Bensonhurst, you know, it was kind of a, a cougie neighborhood, so to speak. There were no metalheads or rockers there. They were few and far between. You know, it was the, it was the, King uh, King of Disco neighborhood I lived in back then. So when you found a friend who was a metalhead or somebody who was into rock, you know you kind of became friends for life over there. And we had a couple of great record stores, Zigzag being the main one. But that was pretty far from my house. And Titus Oak, which was in the same neighborhood as Zigzag Record, were two really great stores uh, in my neighborhood. I can never remember the name of this record store. I have to ask our real calls, Tommy. And in my head, I have the name of something like Music Factory or music expressed, but it was always something different. Every time Tommy tells me the name of him, like I wasn't even close to remembering the name of that record store. And they catered to mostly a disco audience, but they did have some rock records because in the early eighties, metal was starting to, you know, take off and it was starting to rise. And, you know, it, it is a business. They want to make money. I remember walking in there and they always had like the markdown uh, rack in the beginning where it was like, you know, the nice price sticker would be on the record label. This big bubble, like, you know, sixties sticker said the nice price. And that it was four ninety nine. And they had the two Saxon records in there, Wheels of Steel and Strong Arm of the Law. I think this was around 81. And I think actually Denim and Leather was probably out at that time, uh, but they didn't have it in there. And I didn't really even know anything about Saxon back in 1980 or 81. This was the first I've seen them. The logo looked really cool. Even though the album covers were kind of boring. You know, I think I went with Strong Arm of the Law because it had a little better album cover. <laughs> I think if I remember, maybe it was Wheels of Steel. There was just a little bit more artwork on the album cover. But back then, it was basically just the logo you know, of the band on the album cover. I remember going home and putting it on, on the record player and just being blown away by those guys. I remember not long after that, it was probably the end of the year when I did finally be, was able to get down to Zigzag Records where, you know, anything metal you could find in that store, as well as other stuff, but they focused a lot on rock and metal. And, you know, uh, Phil was part, I don't think he was owner of the store, Phil, back then. I think Artie was the owner. Phil just worked there, but they kind of knew what was happening, what was going on in the scene a little bit. So I remember going in there and, and getting the denim and leather record and becoming such a fan of the band from that point on all these years. And I was lucky. We've had sax on the show many times over the years. Always a fun interview. Biff is a real cool guy. All right. How about we give a Greg a call right now? Let's give Greg Scott from Forte a ring, and we'll get this interview going. This is like the next to the last interview for the year. Forgive me today. I've been sick and tired all day, so I'm a little tongue-tied over here and just trying to keep my bearings long enough to get through tonight's show. All right, let's put this number in here and give him a call. All right, just bear with me a second. We'll dial him up. Greg, this is Mike. You're live on the air. How are you? How are you, Mike? I'm doing great, man. It's a pleasure to talk with you today. Pleasure to talk to you as well. Good, good, good to hear from you. You too. Hey, listen, it's, all, it's like almost 30 years that you've been bashing the drums behind the kit for Forte. That's that's pretty yeah. impressive. Well, thank you very much. I'm I'm uh, quite uh, ancient. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're we're all getting there, but you know what? Sometimes things come better with age. I like to think so. Good, 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 uh, good, good, uh, good plan. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Well, you know, I, I'm just thinking, I mean, the band, I mean, since like around 86, maybe 87, the band was formed. Was there ever any downtime in the band where you broke up? I think it was pretty consistent straight through. Well, we never, we never broke up. Me and my brother, 
Jeff, uh, being that we're kind of the core of the band, the fact that we're family, uh, it never really goes away. There's times when, you know, with 33 years, uh, family issues come together and work issues and kids and stuff like that come, you know, and it's, uh, it's hard to keep focused and keep the whole thing rolling all the time. But uh, luckily, I've, I've been able to keep it uh, on keel for, for all this time and uh, and be able to take care of those things as well. But, yeah, it's uh, it's tough. We never, really, we never packed it in, uh, but there's times when, we didn't do shows for a while. But we were always writing, and I was always keeping the band going with the fans and with uh, keeping in touch with everyone and uh, keeping it keeping it rolling, you know. Sure. I mean, I remember when the Strange and the Fiction record came out. That was the first thing I had gotten by the band. Uh, yeah, like early '90s, things were kind of changing music-wise. You know, Nirvana has stepped in, and things were just kind of disappearing from metal. And I remember picking it up and being blown away, you know, by the music that I heard. Like, you know, <laughs> things are still alive and well. And, you know, and we had the Gurley brothers on from uh, Paola a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, we were talking yep. about Oklahoma. And they were saying there really was no scene in Oklahoma until they kind of started one. Was that kind of the way it was back then? Absolutely. I mean, uh, for original music, for playing all original and having a, uh, the idea of band and attaining success outside of, you know, playing covers and playing in local places, uh, they... They they had a venue, the Diamond Ballroom. There's a book been recently written about it, and there's a chapter there by me and detailing how how they they came there. They got this venue going with the owner, the country ballroom called the Diamond Ballroom, and that became the focus for a scene in a way. A scene has to have a place to center uh, a center space for it, you know. And uh, they did they started doing shows on the weekends. They were doing uh, big uh, metal shows, and we we came into it about four months in, probably early '87. And it's very new, you know what I'm saying, to have a place where the people could drink and you could come and all ages could come and really have these huge metal shows. And it went from 300 people to 1,000, you know, over a period of time. And since then, there's a huge scene. been here all these years now. And I, I had to be, I'm, you know, I, I have to say, it's Tony and Bob were very directly responsible for getting it started like that. They had the opportunity and they took it and uh, brought something good for all of us, for sure, you know. Yeah. You know, if you talk to bands today that are starting out or just playing, or even like some established bands that are trying to get out and, you know, get the name heard, or, you know, bands that are starting up again, I mean, it's on, they can't believe that back in the 80s, you know, there could be just one rock and metal club that every band played at all the time, and there was a humongous scene that revolved around that club. Today, it's like they have to go all over the place to kind of get that. But back then, you know, it was possible. Yeah, think about that. Think of Lemurs in New York. I mean, there's different places, yeah. but places like that where all the bands kind of focused and we're able to play. You know, that's not the only one, but uh, around here, that was the only place, man. And uh, for quite some time, other, other than that, I would do uh, shows at, like uh, Elks Lodges and, uh, you know, uh, rent the lodge out, bring in a stage, bring in PA, and bring in, you know, 300 people and have a great show, but it still wasn't quite the same. You know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, that's what it's all about, man, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, you and your brother have always been sort of the core of the, uh, core of the band, and that's what's kept it going. I mean, how did it come about with the first record? Because I know you had a couple of demo tapes out before the first album hit. You know, Strange and Fixin' comes out. I want to say it was on Massacre Records. I just don't remember that far back. Yeah. But I think yeah. it came out on Massacre, which was, you know, I mean, they're still around today. You know, they were a well-known label. How did it come about getting signed for, like, a local band, you know, with only a few well, demos they, out? They, uh, well, we made, uh, let's see, we... We made our first demo called Dementia by Design in uh, June of 1990, and it had five songs, and uh, we knew some writers that were uh, here vacationing uh, on holiday from Germany here, 
in the States, uh, this guy Oliver Young and some other guys. And uh, they came by. My my first singer, James Randall, had been in the band Oliver Magnum from Oklahoma as well. Yeah. And uh, they had done, he had done their first album. Uh, uh, and he wasn't in the band any longer with them. But he they came and they wanted to talk to Oliver Magnum. So they did. And they asked about Jimmy uh, Randall. And they and Dan from Oliver Magnum told them, well, he's in Oklahoma City. And so they got a hold of us and came and talked to him. And he passed them our, our new demo. And they loved it. They were blown away, you know. And uh, uh, they... We we gave them maybe twenty copies on um, on uh, for them to go sell in Germany, and they sold them right away. They wanted more. And we ended up selling a couple thousand copies, you know, through through these people through, in Germany, and they got five out of five, ten out of ten in every magazine. It was just really a, a huge success in that way. And uh, uh, we had a couple of bites from labels, but not quite something we wanted to do yet. But then the Metal Blade came and signed us uh, to do to took one song from that Dimension by Design and put it on the Metal Massacre Volume 11 album, which was a huge thing for us because that's the starting point for Metallica and you know yeah. a lot of great bands Metal Massacre and so it's an honor you know and we did and so that was cool but we had to wait one year uh, to re- to sign with someone else that was part of the deal Metal Blade wanted a year to decide whether they wanted to sign you for a full album deal, that kind of thing. So we had to wait for a year to make a deal with the label. They passed on it. Um, Mas- uh, uh, Metal Blade passed on the deal after a year. Right then, we'd already been talking to uh, Masker Records in Germany and a couple other ones. And Masker was very small and very unknown at the time. But they had uh, they had a, they had money behind them, and they had the, the ability to bring us over there uh, to Germany for a month, give us a month in the studio to do the record, to do some dates while we were there, some live dates, and to get to have all the writers come and meet us there in the studio and do, uh, do stories on the band from the studio. So it gave us a good foothold in Germany uh, with, the, with the writers, with the fans. We got to spend a month doing a record, which we, have never, we would have never gotten here with the cost and everything. And so it, uh, it, was a, it was a good thing, and that's what sealed the deal for us. We went there, stayed a month in Germany, did the first album and it came out and it it was a very uh, it was very successful. Uh, like I said, I, it was unbelievable for us. Really, five out of five, ten out of ten, no bad reviews. You know, it's uh, you can't you can't hope you know, you can hope for that, but it's, you don't really expect it. But it did very well, and uh, we had a ten year career with those with those guys, and they're still around now. So they're uh, they, they 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 know what they're doing. So I'm I'm, pr- I'm proud to say they uh, they signed us when they're very just the very start of that company. You know. Yeah, Stranger Than Fiction, definitely one of my all-time favorites, a classic album. I mean, like it says, you know, James was in the band at that time, but then when Division comes out two years later, you had a new singer. I think Bill was singing with the band at that time. That was before Dave took over, who was pretty much with the band for the last couple of records. Did that affect, I mean, you're talking like 94 when Division comes out. You know, you've got a new singer now. The the scene has completely changed by 1994. It's a whole different scene for metal right now. Do you think all these things kind of affected the band and its momentum? Well, you, of course. I mean, you you um, you you're on track. You're doing all these things. It's going really well, and then all of a sudden, the bottom drops out of your home country. Uh, the scene here, because we'd already been making, you know, playing a lot of dates here as well, and all of a sudden, it, it went to very odd and very uh, for three or four or five years. It was very strange here in America, but in Germany, they didn't feel that same trend right away. It took yeah. a long time for it to reach them and deeply affect them. So, 
they weren't really happy about us changing singers, but it was something that had to be done at the time. Just people weren't getting along, and it was affecting the band itself, able to do dates and able to tour and all. So that had to happen. So we brought in Bill Dollins, who had sang with uh, uh, Legion March, which was a band that Rev Jones, our bass player, had had before Forte. And we knew Bill, he's a great singer, and uh, he came in pretty much and did the record uh, before we'd ever done any dates, really, you know. And uh, it's a great record. It's, it's, a little, it's a little slower than the first one because we got, you know, when you, when you go out and play a hundred shows and you're playing every song from the start to finish to the whole set at uh, very, very fast. You know, there's no, yeah. there's no down. <laughs> it's, uh, it's very hard to do, for one thing. It's also, you, you tend to want to, to put some different feels in there as long as playing live and whatever. So the, the songs we wrote for the second album were a little bit uh, down in, in tempo. But uh, they definitely were still very metal and very, uh, very cool songs. And that album it started off slow, but it, all the reviews were good, and it ended up selling more than the first one. And it became out in America as well. And we did a video for the song Division that was filmed in Palmdale, California. It got out into the Warner Brothers uh, video compilation, and uh, we had some. Uh, we had like 130 radio stations playing uh, two different cuts from the record here in America. Uh, college radio and some rock radio, and that's a huge thing. I mean, it was uh, it was it was very very good, a very successful time. We did a lot of work for that record. Unfortunately, at the end of the line, two years later, we had to change lineups again. You know what I'm saying? Because uh, James James Jones or Rev Jones, whatever you want to call him, he uh, had other interests. He wanted to go join the band Black Symphony in Los Angeles, and Bill Dolan's just had work issues, so he had to go. That's when we brought in Dave Thompson and rebuilt the idea of Forte. A third time, and uh, fortunately, it worked as well, and people it became successful. And um, you know, uh, I'm, very, I'm very strong-willed in that way. I refuse to fail, and I refuse to let this idea uh, just go away. Uh, so, me and my brother stay tight, and and make it make it work. You know, you did. You know, what other bands have fallen by the wayside in the '90s. It was really your most productive time, even with the lineup changes and the, and the singer changes. I mean, you had albums out every two to three years. You know, it's about a time where other bands couldn't. You know, nobody wanted to know them. It, it was like that, but like I said, you you have to be. I was. I refused to fail. You know, I just refused to let the label fall down. I refused to let uh, people not be interested. I just. Uh, I just I stayed on it, man. You know what I mean? It's uh, it, it, hard nose or you know, uh, it's hard. You, you just refuse to fail is the deal. As long yeah. as you're making great music, as long as you're making great music and you and you work and you work and you take every advantage and you take every opportunity and you make the most of it and you do every interview and you you push the point. You don't let it go. You know what I mean? You have to you have to stay. Focus on it's your dream. It's your it's your life's work. It's what you wanted to build. It's what you wanted to be. You just do it, and you don't stop, and you don't, you don't let other people affect you in that way, or other bands, or trends, or that stuff. The '90s were very hard in America, and because you know everybody wanted to be Marilyn Manson or Nine Inch Nails or something with yeah. makeup or some kind of freaky stuff. That's not us, you know. But uh, we kept at it. We made great records, and and. Uh, I'm very, I'm very proud of that time. It was a very productive time for us, for sure. And we're still, we still yeah. did it after that, but uh, that was a very focused time. Uh, after, after age 35, it's not for me personally, but for other people in the band, it's hard to do the every day, you know, be that guy every single day because they have families. And, you know, I was always able to stay free of that and, and stay focused and 
be be working all the time. I'm work, I'm in the studio right now, uh, demoing songs for the new Forte record right now. So we uh, we are definitely uh, still still moving, still climbing. You know. That's a, that's a beautiful thing. Does it help that you and your brother have always been the core of this band? Because sometimes when you have three or four guys and they all want to have an input or saying what's going on musically, it does affect the sound of the band, the law, you know, everything that happens with it. Too many, too many chefs or too many cooks in the pot. Sometimes what they're saying is can ruin it. Is a better way you and your brother, cause you kind of know, I mean, each album is, is, is definitely a continuation of the one before it, even though the, each one progresses, each one has a little different vibe, you know who it is. And is that important that, you know, you and your brother guide it that way and keep it that way? Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, you can bring in new people, but they have to understand. Here's what the band is. Here's what the band. Here's the here's the ingredients that make this band work. And we can always add new things. We can always, you know, take different fields. We don't want to make the same record twice. It's like telling the same story, you know, uh, different, you know. But uh, if they're going to come in, they're going to work with us. They're going to work with us. And we and a good idea is a good idea, whether it comes from me or whoever. But it has to fit and it has to work within the aesthetic of the band. And that's something we refuse to uh, give away. I mean, you, you you bring in talented people and you let them use their talents and, and bring what they have to the table. But you have to stay true to what they, the notion of the band, what made the band successful in the first place, to the fans, to yourself, and uh, and then you don't you don't you don't fail because you're doing what you wanted to do. You have a bottom line. When you cross your own bottom line, then you're 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 selling yourself out right there. You don't do that. You, you have to stay true to the original notion of the band, at least in some way. You know, we would never make a disco album or you know, a dubstep record or something like that. You'd say it has to be uh, true metal, and I don't mean in a Man of War way, but I mean I love Man of War, but I'm saying, you know, it's, 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 it has to be true to the original idea of the band that me and my brother yeah. had when we were 14, when 14 years old. And uh, well, I'm still 14, and I'm uh, close to 50. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. W- were you ever tempted or over the years to kind of like sway the band to go in a little different direction to kind of fit in what was going? I mean, metal-wise, not my slide, like not dubstep and shit like that, but you know, there's been a lot of different genres of metal over the years that have come and gone where they were bigger than others. Were you ever tempted to kind of like, you know, say, you know what, maybe we should go a little bit more alternative, a little bit more new metal, a little bit more this type of metal because it's happening right now? I think I think you don't do it purposely. If it if it creeps in, some things you hear and some things you feel are going to creep in in some way that affect the way a song sounds or something you will accept or won't. You know, it, but uh, we never we 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 know what we want. It has to, every album has double bass drumming. Every album has guitar solos. Every album has uh, fast songs as well. We don't stray too far from the original thing, but at the same time. You want to do different things. You want to include different arrangements and different ideas, but you don't grab a trend. Anyone who grabs a trend and includes it in their thing, the trend is already over. By the time you hear it, it's already gone. It's already, you're not you're not part of the, the original wave of that thing. So you're you're emulating, you're copying somebody else. If it comes in, if it kind of creeps in a little bit, and you have a feel of something, that's fine. You, but you don't take a direct influence and wear it on your sleeve. Uh, if, if you want to stay true to your, your your music and to yourself, you know. So I, mean, I can I can see some different fields coming in, and I can see other albums. Like uh, after after I'm destructive, when we did Rise Above, it was a, it was a for sure intent to go back to a little faster and a little more true metal. Because right then, uh, we just listened to a lot of Judas Priest and a lot of things that uh, refocused our energies in the right direction, and uh, you know. Influence is one thing. Uh, ambulance is, is different, you know. True. I mean, it was a good 13 years between Rise Above and Unholy War. 
I mean, as far as a full-length record goes. And, you know, I thought The Holy War was a solid record. The new material you're working on, is it going to be kind of a continuation of where that album left off, or are you guys just feeling a whole bunch of different things right now? It's very fast. I mean, it's, uh, it's very fast. It's, I'd say it's more like the first album, actually. Um, wow. Not all, not every song, but uh, I'd say there's six songs that are as fast as the first album, and then other ones have fast parts to them. Uh, it's not all one feel. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's very fast, it's very intense, and a lot of guitar playing, and a lot of drumming. And, <laughs> and the, the, the time is, is things. We tried to make that record for uh, three, three different times. And one time we recorded most of it, the studio closed down, and the guy sold his tape machine. It was just a big mess. The tapes were gone. You know, the they hard drives they recorded were gone. That was in 2003. In 2006, we tried it again. It kind of bottomed out at some point. Finally, about 2009, we got the budget to do it again. We put it together. We had a new label, everything else. So we finally got a set of songs together. We've been playing shows. I think we might have lost Greg there. Oh, there you go. Are you there? Yeah, okay. Yeah, you're back. Yep. Okay. Sorry about that. You got some kind of phone, phone line problem. Uh, but no uh, problem. we played shows the whole time. Rev Jones rejoined the band, and we played with uh, uh, Bullet from Valentine, which is a British band that just now started here in like 2006, and, uh, and started doing a lot of shows after that. So we played. We were playing constantly, but uh, getting a new record out involved getting a new label, and uh, we did that with uh, Tribunal slash Dive Bomb, who in turn have, have recently in the last 10 years, we re-released all of the original albums as well, remastered, and that's that's happened then, and now we're about to sign with another label to re-release those those products again, remastered, and uh, with more bonus tracks, and uh, then a new record as well, so uh, things are looking good, and we're, we're on track right now as well. Oh, that sounds great. Like I said, Rev is back playing with you guys again. I know he's got a new solo record out right now, another uh, on his own. Who's singing for the band right now? Is it still Dave? Well, I believe it's a new guy. I believe it'll be a new guy. It may, it may be James Randall, but uh, we haven't talked too much recently. You know what I mean? So he's uh, he's got his own life. He's got, he does a lot of work, and he's got a, his own interests. And I, I, I haven't had a chance to talk to him very much. I, I have talked to Rev, and we didn't talk about doing the record, but that's kind of how it goes with him. He's in and out. He's always do, he's got a thousand things going on. If he has time to do it, he'll come in and do it, and that'd be great. If not, i got a couple of great guys that will play as well. The main thing is that me and my brother... I write the songs, and it sounds like Forte, and it's very... I write all the lyrics. I've written all the lyrics since the very first album, and so you'll get a solid solid Forte record with some new things as well and a great production, and I, I cool. can't wait. But I, we, we have, I have a new singer. If James Randall doesn't do the record, I have a new singer that I'll, I'll announce at a certain time, but he's a, a great, great singer, and uh, it'll be very cool. That's excellent. When you when you're looking for people that you know to play within the band, I mean, do you try to keep the local people that you have access to where you can get together, rehearse, or are you from the you know like people today? They everything's exchanged with files and, and stuff like that. And some bands love doing it that way. Some bands don't. I mean, do you prefer to look for somebody local who has the ability and talent to play in the band, or do you? Or is yeah. it okay to go anywhere you can find somebody that that fits in? Well, you know, if you're just doing a one-off project or something, or if you weren't planning on being a band, you know, then you could use anybody really. But uh, we always wanted someone that could come in and work with the band in the rehearsal room as far as uh, learning how the band does things, learning the way of the band, you know, and meshing with it as people and understanding the writing process and understanding what's going on. And uh, so, yeah, it takes someone that's uh, at least 
within some distance from here where they can be regional in some way. Because uh, if not, it's not really a band. You know, it's just a it's a guy singing on your record, and they don't really know uh, the experiences that went into making that uh, those records and those lyrics. And it helps to have someone as local. So we always try to do that. And we have, the guy I'm talking about right now, the guys are, are local as well. So luckily, I've been able to find good people, and uh, and hopefully we'll continue to. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Greg, you've been in this a long time. I mean, you've seen all the changes that have come and gone, some for some for the better, some for not. I mean, what do you prefer about the, the music business part of it today? Not just the playing stuff, but, you know, the behind-the-scenes work, the business end of it. What do you feel is better today than it was, you know, in the 80s when you guys got started? Well, it's, it's easier now because of media, social media and all this kind of stuff. It's easier to get your stuff out to a lot of people and da-da-da. But when, when we did it before... There were specific people and specific things you did. You wrote letters. You made personal contacts with people. You made phone calls. I used to spend hundreds of dollars on the phone, you know, uh, making these uh, relationships with the distributors, with the label, with the press people. And relationship because of that, I've had uh, relationships that lasted 20-odd years with these people. They were still friends, compatriots in some way now. So you made deeper relationships then because you took the personal time to make a relationship with someone. And now it's it's impersonal. You get it out to a lot of people. A lot of people are listening to your stuff through streaming and all these things, but uh, you, don't, you don't have that personal contact anymore, which is uh, what made bands last a long time. Bands come and go very quickly now because they don't they don't have roots. The roots aren't set in their, in their home. They're not set with their press people. They're not set with the labels. They're, it's just come and go in a way. You know, I made sure that I made real solid relationships with people that lasted time, the test of time. And uh, that's why we're still here. That's why I can still pick up the phone and make things happen because they know I'm going to deliver a good product. I'm going to be on time, on budget, and, and make it work. And they're not going to have a bad experience working with the band. And that means for shows, for albums, for whatever it is we're doing, uh, we're solid. We always have been. And uh, that, that makes a big difference. But we're obviously with streaming and all these things, you can get your stuff out to a lot, a lot of people. But uh, you don't really know uh, how how it goes with it. You don't you don't really know. You don't see their faces. You don't really know exactly how they feel about things. Uh, but uh, you know, it, it is what it is. You deal with what what comes along at the time. Uh, we've been through a lot of different things, and you just got to keep rolling. You know. That's all you can do. Hey, Greg, I'm not going to keep you much longer, man. I appreciate you talking with me today. I'm going to play some music. When do you think we're going to see the new record? Is it something for 2019, you think? Uh, yeah, I believe so. I, I would hope to get it out by summer, but, you know, with labels, uh, they, they have a schedule. And so I would, I would anticipate uh, summer, but uh, it could be fall by the time it actually comes out. But we'll preface that with a three song sometime before then to let people know, hey, we're alive and we've got... Uh, Here's what it's going to sound like, and uh, that, that'll be out uh, through our own through our own sources. But then it will the, the album itself will come out through a label, probably by fall. Great. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing that new music, and when it comes out, Excellent. come back on the show. We'll promote the hell out of it for you. I sure will, man. Thank you so much, Mike. You take care. And you too. Greg. Tell all the Forte fans hello, and I'd love to see you. Check us out. I'll see you soon. Okay. You got it, my friend. Take care. Have a great night. Take care, buddy. All right, let's go back to that first record we were talking about. Let's start off over there. Stranger Than Fiction. (laughs) 
I figure since we're in Oklahoma, how about a little Oliver Magnum over there? Iman doesn't like the album cover. Says it looks like a rap album cover. <laughs> I guess money was tight back then for the album cover budgets. I'm surprised with the re-releases. Nobody ever tried to come up with a, a different album cover for that. A lot of labels do do that these days. All right. Well, you know what? We got eh, a little while left in the show. We're not going to do the whole two hours tonight. I've been contemplating all week about ending the show in September when we have our 11th year anniversary show because it's getting to be a lot of work. I mean, I've done one show a week every week for 11 years. We just actually do two shows a week up until about five years ago. Then we just cut it down to one show a week. And you're trying to book guests, deal with labels, A&R people, press people, radio marketing companies, and then dealing with guests just in general, trying to get them booked every week. I mean, we have two to three guests on every single week. It's been nice just having one on a week for the last couple of weeks. We kind of slowed it down at the end of the year. But it's really getting draining doing this every week. We're closing in almost a thousand shows. I mean, you know, and we're live every week. You know, I only record a show here and there when it's uh, when I'm on vacation, basically. So we have something air that week. And other than that, I don't think I've taken off more than one or two shows a year when I was away and just couldn't record something. So right now, we're probably going to end the show in September. If not, maybe we'll think about cutting it down to maybe three shows a month instead of four, maybe every other weekend in the summertime. You know, my daughter is married and pregnant now. I'm going to have a grandchild next summer. I'm looking to spend more time with that child than, you know, here doing this show. I have to be honest with you. So we'll just see what happens. Maybe we'll just do less shows next year so I have more time for the family. And it's just been a hassle. Next week, we were supposed to have on uh, Rob Weir from the Tigers of Pang Tang. You know, two interviews were set up this week with him because of the time difference. And he kind of fucking screwed me on both of them. You know, we were supposed to interview on Monday. I waited all day long. Never heard from the guy. Never called me back. You know, that's frustrating. When you take time out of your day to interview somebody, and they don't even have the decency and the respect, you know, to contact you for some reason. I get it if it's like a real, you know, dire family emergency, and you're the last person to think of. I get that. But usually they call you the next day. I don't hear anything for days. Set up another interview. And a minute before it was supposed to start, I was like, I got something to do with my family, so uh, uh, we'll do it in a half hour. You know, I'm not here, you know, to wait around for you on your schedule. This is something that artists don't seem to get. You know what I mean? If Ozzy Osbourne drags me around for a couple of days or a week, I'll fucking take it to talk to Ozzy Osbourne. But, you know, Rob Weir from the Tigers of Pantang, I'm not going to get dicked around fucking interview after interview with the guy. And then I told him, I'll give you one more shot. We'll set up a live interview. Let me know about it. Never got back to me again. So fuck him. Fuck the Tigers of Pantang and never hit him on this show ever again. And I'll never interview him for this show. That gets frustrating when you take time out of your day to do something, to interview somebody. They don't even have the decency to respect to fucking follow through. It gets really frustrating. I'm not going to lie to you. All right. My little rant is over. That's that. We're going to move on right now. <laughs> All right. So like I said, we'll see what happens. I think I would rather do like two or three shows a month instead of four or five uh, then to end it all together. But we'll, we'll play it by year. We'll see what happens this year. You know, maybe on the holiday weekends we'll take off and uh, make some more time for ourselves. All right, we got a lot of music to get to. We played Brand New Charity before, Killing Machine. That sounded pretty good. We'll do some new Flatman and Jetson right now. And we'll follow that up with, let's see, what else do we have new? How about we go right into some Brand New Metal Church after that? So we'll do two new songs, all right? Brand New Flatman and Jetson right now, Prison of Time. And we'll follow it up with Brand New Metal Church war electric let me know what you think of these songs
uh, New Metal Church, The War Electric. I don't know why I got Manuel from. I think I'm talking to Greg. Mm-hmm. New Metal Church, The War Electric. It sounds great. New Flotsam right before that sounds great. And we played Chariot early on in the show. They put out a pretty solid sounding album. Kind of continue where they left off with the last one. A lot of great music for 2018. I know 2019 is going to shape up to be just as good. I mean, each year seems to be getting better and better. I'm so happy and so proud of my fellow metal brothers who put out this killer record year after year. And for those great new young bands coming into the scene. You know, one of my favorite is Leather Bitch. I mean, I love these guys. They put in that album. I mean, they only put out one album, but what they do, I mean, it's just amazing. They really recaptured that classic 80s sound through and through. I know they're working on a new record. Hopefully, we'll get that in 219 from those guys. All right. How about uh, we play some Jet Black, so-called Bad Child. I believe Christy Majors was in this band uh, back in his New York days. There you go.
Kevin. Man, I was such a big fan of those guys. I was thrilled when I was able to get Alan Fry to come on the show. We became good friends after that, and we talked a lot. He passed away about a year or so uh, after our interview. Uh, he was fighting cancer for a long time. Really super nice guy. You know, it's a shame that the good ones have to go sometimes. A lot of other people out there kind of deserve it before they do. Uh, but I, I remember I, I, that record had like two or three different titles to it. It was uh, it was self-titled as Heaven. I think the version I had was all the band standing on rocks. I think it was Bent was that version that I had. I guess different countries they released it. There were different covers. Uh, maybe they got signed to different labels. I don't really remember the reason why. I think it was actually called Twilight of Mischief at one time or another. That storm, storm was on there. That was a killer record. Take You Higher, Fantasy, Nothing to Lose, In the Beginning, uh, Suck City. Just a great album. They only had a couple of albums out you know, in their career. You know, Chris Caffrey played with them for a little bit of a while, I believe. Uh, was it Chris? I'm not even sure now. You know, I don't remember now. I, th- I, th- I want to say it was Chris, or maybe it wasn't. I don't even know. <laughs> Who the hell knows? But somebody else played with them for a little while. Killer band. Love them. All right. We're going to wrap things up here in a little while. We're going to end it a little early tonight. Uh, how about we do... Let me see here. I got the, the new Night Flight Orchestra. I haven't even sat down to listen to it yet. Uh, let's get on a song off of that. This is like a modern rock version, I guess, of ELO in a way, uh, out of Sweden. Uh, the only person I really know in the band is, uh, is Charlie D'Angelo, who played with Merciful Faith for a while and is an arch enemy. Uh, there's a lot of people in this band. There's like two or three different singers, a whole bunch of musicians. Like I said, it's like a hard rock version of like what ELO was doing back in the 70s. I guess they're kind of trying to bring that back in some way. They've got a few records out. This is, uh, let's see, we'll dig up something off the newest one called Sometime the World Ain't Enough. We'll do that, and then we'll jump into maybe, uh, I don't know. I don't think I had anything else new lined up besides that. We played quite a few tonight, but that was about it. All right, let's do California Morning by the Night Flight Orchestra.
Leia, the final command. I remember the first time I played that song when I bought the record Show No Mercy and just like my jaw dropped at how fast that freaking song was. Today it's probably mild compared to the stuff that's out, but back in 1983, you were just shaking your head at the speed involved in that tune. Absolutely love it. Nothing better than Classic Slayer, those first three records. Before that, Frigid Bitch. And before that, Sorcerer, Strike of the Raven. All right, we're going to wrap it up here tonight. I want to thank Greg Scott from Forte for being on tonight's show. Next week, replacing that prick Rob Weir from Tigers and Pantang. Jeff Carlson is stepping in to take his spot. So I want to thank Jeff for a last-minute substitution. And then we're going to wrap up the year with our Christmas show and our Happy New Year special. Thank you, everybody, for listening, hanging out, and being a part of tonight's program. Let's end it with a little realm and fate's wind. Take care, everybody.
Ho, 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 ho. What can I get you? Hey, Santa. A pony and an iPhone for my mom. She really wants one. That's a lot. Look, at Metro, they'll give you an iPhone 6S just for switching. Charlie Jingle Bells. I should switch to Metro. It's smart. You should. Get this unbelievable deal under your tree. Switch and get an iPhone 6S on us. Hurry, because deals this good don't last long. Metro by T-Mobile. Plus sales tax and activation fee. Not valid for current T-Mobile network numbers or numbers active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. Macy's Backstage has everything to help you get a fresh start, including active gear from brands you love. Reebok, Fila, K-Swiss, and more. Hurry in and find the best booties of the season, starting at $19.99. And pamper yourself. Bring the spa home with fragrant candles, aroma diffusers, even salt lamps, starting at just $5.99. Best of all, look for incredible markdowns in every department all month long. Macy's Backstage. Off price, on trend, arriving daily. Find your store at Macy'sBackstage.com. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.